You've attended council hearings in person. You've tuned in to our televised proceedings on Channel 13. Now, you have the chance to listen to us on the radio as we demystify the work of the people who do it. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council with your host, Josh Gibson. Thank you, deep voice person with a funky backbeat. Indeed, this is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. You can't have a government without a council, so you can't have a government radio station without a council show. This is it. We're coming to you from the train track enclosed nerve center that is the headquarters of the Office of Cable TV, Film, Music, and Entertainment. It's also the historic headquarters of Black Entertainment Television, so it's an honor to be here. Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to celebrate this thing called the Council. I'm Josh Gibson, Director of Communications for the Council. You may also know me as the Council's voice on social media, at Council of D.C., If you don't follow us already, get with the program. Here at the Council, our communications goal is to engage with residents in an informative, conversational, and sometimes even enjoyable way. If you follow us on Twitter, we're believers in the Mary Poppins School of Communications. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. We want to make it easy for average residents to understand what the Council does. We're demystifying our work and the people who do it. Remember, the D.C. Council is just like your workplace, except with the dais. On the show, we'll try to keep things light, offbeat, informal, and interesting. You'll learn about policy, learn about people, learn about history, and learn about the institution. Now, listeners, we've wrapped up our first round of interviews with council members. They're available on SoundCloud and iTunes. Those focused mainly on getting to know the council members' backgrounds. In the second round of interviews, we're uh, focusing on council experiences, process, learning curve, uh, surprises, and ups and downs here. Uh, And a disclaimer, we are sharing questions in advance with the council members, and council members can pass on answering any of the questions uh, they don't want to answer. So without any further ado, let's welcome back uh, Ward 4 Council Member Brandon Todd. Thank you, Councilmember. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Josh. I'm so happy to be back. Oh, well, it's good to have you here. Um, But uh, now that you're here, we're going to hit you up with a real toughie. All right. Um, I know that elected officials uh, find it difficult to talk about themselves. Um, We're going to ask you if you could talk about uh, success. Success. About something you think you did right. Well, I'm really, time really on the council. Thank you. I think that's a great question, and uh, we do find it hard to talk about ourselves. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I'm really proud of a, a, a few things that I'll touch on that uh, since I've joined the council that I've been able to get accomplished, uh, specifically uh, down at City Hall. Um, and the first thing that I was I'm most proud of is, you know, I represent about 20% of seniors in Ward 4. Uh, 20% of our residents are over the age of 60 years old uh, in, in my ward. And one of the first pieces of legislation I introduced was uh, to create a senior legal clinic at the University of the District of Columbia's Law School. Uh, And we were able to get uh, the legislation introduced, uh, get the legal clinic funded. uh, And now, annually, hundreds of seniors all across the district are able to get free uh, legal advice uh, from rising uh, law students at our our, uh, university's law school. So that's really, really exciting. Um, I've had Ward 4 seniors reach out to me and thank me for making that resource available to them. Uh, You know, when you're on a fixed income, you're on a fixed income. 
Uh, so we've been very, very excited about uh, the senior legal clinic uh, that we were able to get established at UDC. And was that was that something that you introduced uh, day one? It was. It was the. I, I was elected uh, in April, sworn in in May, uh, and I think in June I introduced that legislation. I heard loud and clear as I went neighborhood by neighborhood from War Four seniors that uh, a missing gap for them was legal advice. They would have documents that they needed reviewed. They had help that they needed to receive, uh, but they couldn't afford the hourly rate uh, to hire an attorney. And so I, I called up our, our wonderful law school at the University of the District of Columbia. I started working with my legislative director uh, and the general counsel's office at the D.C. Council to craft a, piece, a bill um, that would not only support law students at, at, our, at our university's law school, but also support uh, D.C. seniors to be able to get needed help. And that's the, the David Clark School of that's Law the named after David the, Clark uh, School of Law, yes. Former council after chairman. Our former council chair who did so much for our city for so many years. Uh, we're proud of his legacy. And uh, and it's it's uh, okay if you don't. Is there any specific example you can think of of a, a senior with a legal issue that they were able to, to go to bat for them? Uh, absolutely. I actually had a senior tell me two months ago uh, that at my office's suggestion, she went to to the university's law school, uh, and she was able to get help. She felt that she was being discriminated against uh, by her landlord. Uh, and so she was able to get help, and she was able to remain in her apartment uh, right in Ward 4. Uh, the lawyers were gracious. They were kind. They took their time. And these are all things that she told me. Uh, so that's just one example that a small investment of roughly $500,000 a year um, can help really, in some cases, save a senior's life uh, who, who could otherwise have been put out on the street uh, or faced discrimination um, or faced uh, legal hurdles that they could not overcome alone. And it also does double service because it's great for the students to get out from behind the books Absolutely. and to actually meet uh, a generation they might not have that much opportunity to interact with. Absolutely. It'll give them experience and issues and, and aging issues, senior issues, the challenges that they face legally and otherwise. So it's great. It's a, it's a twofer. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's very exciting. Um, are there any other uh, successes so, that, you, that you'd like to plug? You know, I have a, a, a unique opportunity to represent a number of historic corridors like Georgia Avenue and 13th Street. Kennedy Street and Upper 14th Street. And uh, just last year, we were able to uh, give a, a Main Street designation. Uh, we call it the Uptown Main Street, which is the entirety of Kennedy Street uh, Northwest uh, and the upper portion of 14th Street. Uh, and as you know, uh, Main Street designations are really helpful uh, to provide supports to current businesses, but also look at ways with government and private resources that we attract uh, new businesses to corridors, make sure that they're clean, uh, that they're safe, uh, and that there is a singular focus on the corridor success. So over the last uh, two and a half years is when we began conversations about uh, a Main Street designation on Kennedy Street, and then we expanded that conversation to Upper 14th Street, and today we have the Uptown Main Street, uh, which is really, really incredible. We're seeing lots of interest from restaurants, from yoga studios, dry cleaners, you name it, they want to be on the Uptown Main Street. So we're really proud of the work that we've been able to, to get accomplished uh, on both of those corridors. 
And when they talk about cleaning, uh, doing the cleaning in the uptown uh, Main Street, do they talk about getting rid of the uptown funk? <laughs> we don't want to get rid of uptown funk. Okay. We, we love uptown okay, funk. Okay. <laughs> I just, I just, you know, I didn't know if they were working that song into their marketing. You don't marketing. want me to start singing the song, do you? Not, <laughs> yes, I do, actually. Uh, we, talk, we did talk about tap dancing in the <laughs> last did. episode. So if we did a song and dance, We, we you did know, talk about it the last then time. Then we'd be it, talking. Songing is not, singing is not my strong suit. Yeah. So I think I'll stick just. stick to dancing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, well, I'll give you one more chance to, to plug a success, then we're going to move to a new topic. Sure. And I've just been really, really uh, excited to focus on school modernizations in Ward 4. Uh, and I think I'll talk about one of them a little bit later. But just having the opportunity to, to come to City Hall, fight for modernization dollars, uh, put a shovel in the ground, and then two years later, or sometimes even in a shorter amount of time, be able to cut the ribbon uh, so that our young people can have high-quality um, education. So I was proud to do that for Lafayette Elementary School, Roosevelt Senior High School, McFarland Middle School, uh, and coming online uh, next school year, school year of 2019-2020, we will open uh, the brand new Calvin Coolidge Middle School uh, and Senior High School, which is going to be incredible uh, for the future of World War students. So we're really excited about that. And we have other schools that are in the pipeline, like West Education Campus and uh, LaSalle Backus Education Campus and Truesdale uh, Education Campus that we'll be focused on making sure uh, that we're making those critical investments in those in those schools. And how are those, I guess it's, it's still early, but how are those um, renovations holding up? I see in my own neighborhood with residential redevelopment that new construction looks great the day it opens, but sometimes within a couple of years, buildings are having trouble, whereas 100-year-old buildings are holding up Absolutely. great. Are, are you seeing quality work being done? Well, I've seen quality work over the last few years that I've been in office. I think it's important that, you know, in our budget, we account for maintaining these buildings that we're building. Uh, each year, I choose uh, probably a dozen or so schools uh, and then another dozen uh, public facilities through War 4 to tour with government agencies to make sure that we are uh, making those maintenance investments so that in 10, 15, 20 years, we'll still have uh, great school buildings, great public facilities. But as far as I can tell, you know, the contractors that we're hiring to do the work are doing a, an incredible job. Um, you know, there's always room for improvement, but I, I do believe that our Department of General Services, uh, being the construction arm, has greatly improved um, the ability for us to deliver and maintain high-quality public facilities in the District of Columbia. Yeah, it's a lesson we learned, I think, the hard way with Metro is it's fun and it's sexy to build new things, mm -hmm. but if you don't spend the unfun money maintaining things, Absolutely. a couple decades down the road, things start to fall apart, Absolutely. and then you have to spend a ton of money just to, to glue get, stuff back together. Yes. So uh, um, we've learned our lesson as a region, uh, and certainly uh, as a city, we want to avoid those types of missteps and, and make sure we can maintain what we build. Yeah. No, it's critical. Uh -huh. It's essential. Um, okay, so we've spoken about successes. Now let's talk a little bit about uh, about uh, setbacks, about learning experiences, about things that maybe didn't go your way, uh, either at least initially or, sure. or in the longer run. Well, um, 
I'll tell you, one of my biggest setbacks since joining the council was losing uh, initial funding for Coolidge's modernization. Uh, so in 2016, uh, the council voted to shift, I think, 60 or $80 million from the budget for Coolidge, which in turn delayed it an entire school year. Um, of course, I was not pleased with that, um, and I was very frustrated uh, with the process. Now, uh, I must say that we did, however, put the money to good use to build build uh, uh, temporary family housing across the district, and I was proud that we opened our facility in Ward 4 uh, late last fall, uh, and so we have families living in that temporary supportive housing. Uh, but I was very disappointed, as was the, the Calvin Coolidge uh, Senior High School community, that the funding was moved uh, for another priority in the city, uh, but we were able to, to, to get things back on track within the next budget, and uh, we fully funded the modernization of Coolidge. And as I said a little bit earlier, we'll be cutting the ribbon to a $158 million investment, which is really going to be incredible for the most northern part of the district. But that was definitely a defeat and a setback. Uh, I wasn't pleased. Neighbors weren't pleased. But uh, the results, the outcome uh, will be fantastic. So, you know, I learned everything doesn't always happen when we want it to happen. Uh, but it's certainly with focus, uh, uh, and determination uh, and commitment that we can get things back on the track uh, and make sure we get the desired results that we all want. So that was a, that was just sort of a, a stuff happens and everything uh, good happens in time. Yes, absolutely. Uh, lesson learned. Absolutely. At the time, I was blood mad. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, fortunately, with the year delay, I mean, there clearly there's some students that won't get to a one year's worth of students that won't get to enjoy that facility. Absolutely. But by and large, there are students that will get to enjoy it a year later. Absolutely. So we're excited. We're yeah. really excited. And, and everywhere I go uh, where families will eventually feed into Coolidge, either the middle school or even the high school, they are just thrilled um, at the progress that we're making uh, with those schools. Yeah. And, and at least when money is going to give people a home who don't have a Absolutely. home, you want to be in the best possible learning environment you can be in. But when there are people who have no home, Absolutely. if you can be in a less good learning environment for 365 mm -hmm. days mm -hmm. and someone gets a home, Absolutely. hopefully that's something our, our students could, could bear. No, and I think, and you know, that's why I ended up supporting moving the money because I know uh, how important it is for our city uh, to, to one at the time, close DC General and get people in dignified housing, which was so critically important and it still is today. Uh, so while we had a setback and some people were um, uh, sad, you know, we were able to, now we're able to house hundreds of families in dignified, clean, safe housing across the District of Columbia, which is which was worth it. Uh, so. We'll now have uh, all of the desired outcomes we want. People will have a, a clean, dignified place to live in, and our students will have a, a great new place to learn in. Okay, now let's let's sort of flip the script a bit, and let's talk about, uh, as a council member, obviously you hear from so many constituents, uh, 
in hearings and community meetings, uh, just constituents who reach out to you directly. Talk to me about some, uh, some stuff that's just broken your heart, some stories you've heard, uh, just things that, that just tore at you, um, uh, things that people have experienced. So I'll tell you, uh, when I was running for re-election in the summer of 2016, I knocked uh, on a constituent's door by the name of Mary Klein. And you may have read about her in the Washington Post uh, it, last month. Uh, she was a big proponent of uh, our death with dignity law that was at the time in 2016, not the law, but it was a proposal before the D.C. Council. Uh, and I wasn't quite sure where I was going to land on the legislation. Uh, quite frankly, I had planned to vote no at the time. Uh, but I knocked on Ms. Klein's door in Crestwood to ask for her vote as her council member. And she asked me where I was with death with dignity. And I told her pretty clearly uh, and pretty quickly that I had planned to vote no on the legislation. And she said, uh, council member, I would love to have the opportunity uh, to express to you why I would like my council member to support it uh, and, and why I'm so passionate about it. Fast forward a few weeks, I went to her house and had an hour long conversation with a woman uh, who was terminal with cancer. Uh, and she wanted simply the opportunity uh, to, to um, pass on uh, in, in what she felt was a dignified manner. Uh, that conversation, it just, it broke my heart. You know, you can't imagine sitting in someone's living room and they have to contemplate when a doctor tells them uh, that there is no more that can be done for them. They would have to make the decision uh, uh, to, to end their life in a peaceful uh, and dignified way. Uh, you know, after an hour of sitting with her, uh, I decided that people should have the right to choose. Uh, uh, when and how they pass once there's there's nothing else that can be done medically. And so I did go on to uh, vote for the legislation. Ms. Klein uh, did pass on about a year later, uh, this past August 2018, a year and a half later, uh, and her family sent me a lovely note uh, just thanking me for my support uh, and my compassion to Ms. Klein and taking the time to hear, hear her point of view and her side of things. But that really broke my heart. It really tugged at me. It, uh, but I think I feel like I did the, the right thing in the end. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I was uh, uh, interviewing Councilmember Silverman, and we were talking about uh, Councilmember Alexander's uh, experience with the same mm -hmm. um, conflict and the fact that she chaired the committee, the legislation went through, and despite mm -hmm. opposing the legislation, allowed it to go through her committee. Absolutely. And that's. I can't think of other experiences where a council member allowed a bill to pass that they opposed to pass through uh, their committee. That's sort of an interesting, um, you know, a philosophical mm -hmm. uh, situation to find oneself in as a, as a legislator. No, you're exactly right. And, you know, I, every decision that I make at the council, I always try to make them with what is the going to be the best outcome for the most people possible. 
Uh, and, you know, when I looked at that legislation, I decided, you know, I shouldn't choose for, for people. I should give them the opportunity uh, to make those types of decisions uh, on their own. And, and as you know, our Department of Health has uh, robust um, rules and regulations about how and when it can be administered and who is able to take advantage of it to make sure uh, that it's not abused at any point in time. So um, I'm, I feel good about where I landed on the issue, but uh, when I got this question and I just reflected on the last nearly four years being in office, that has had to have been the uh, saddest moment um, uh, since I've been on the council. And it also must be complicated coming to the table as a uh, you come to the table as a as a member of a family as a member of a faith community as a uh, emotional human being mm-hmm. as a rational human being uh, you bring all those different roles and you need to decide you need to ultimately cast a vote mm-hmm. you don't get to cast a vote in each wearing each hat you Absolutely. only get to cast one vote one vote. And when I looked at all those sides, I'm a son, I'm a grandson, I'm a nephew, I'm a human myself, um, I, I'm an Episcopalian, so I have uh, certain beliefs in my religion. Uh, but but at the end of the day, um, you know, I thought uh, what will be the best in all arenas, right? It could be a family member of mine having to make that decision. Quite frankly, it could be me uh, and what I want the option. Uh, and so that was the perspective I took, um, and that's why I voted uh, the way that I did, and I feel good about it. I feel good about it. That makes sense to me. Uh, now it's sort of an abrupt transition to a couple questions on uh, the council process, how we operate as a body. Uh, we, we have our own internal rules, and some we love, and some make us nuts. Uh, so can you give us an example of something that we do, one of our internal rules that makes you crazy and you, you wish you could change, and uh, one that might seem a little squirrely, but at the end of the day, you're, you're grateful that we have? Well, I think that uh, our rules are perfect and there's nothing... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. And it's been a great show. Thank you. Well, I'll tell you, just the legislative process itself, uh, it can be... Uh, both endearing and frustrating at the same time, right? So, you know, when you're an introducer of legislation or you have an idea, a policy initiative, obviously you want to see it move through the process um, as expeditiously as possible. You want it done yesterday, you want it funded yesterday, but the process doesn't always allow uh, uh, for that to happen. So, uh, you know, the fact that sometimes uh, it can uh, take a very long time for legislation to move through the process can be very frustrating. Um, but I think uh, it, uh, it it has a double-edged sword. It can be a very good thing to make sure that our, the, the council and that the government, that we're doing our due diligence to make sure that the laws we pass um, are sound uh, and that they will be in the best interest of the District of Columbia um, uh, over a number of years. So uh, it can be frustrating, uh, but you know, when you, when you take a step back and, and really look at why the rules are the way they are, um, we know that they're important. And um, I think that uh, sometimes the length of time can be a good thing because you know, I have introduced legislation or supported legislation initially uh, and then realized that it might not be that good 
uh, to support uh, or even to have introduced. Uh, likewise, uh, I have not supported something initially, and then as the, the process uh, moves along, uh, um, I, I find myself very supportive or even excited about it. So, um, you know, generally the rules can be frustrating, uh, but I think in the end, mostly, uh, they're good and they end up serving the best interest of not only the, the council, the legislative body, but also uh, when they get to the executive who has to um, uh, administer most of the programs and uh, spend the dollars that we send um, for the programs that we uh, support and create. Right. Generally, they're there for a reason. Yeah. And, and a lot of times when you're trying to get your idea through, you might uh, sort of chafe at, at some of the things that slow the process down. Absolutely. But then if there's legislation you oppose, you're probably grateful that it's there. Yes. And See, You got it, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then, like you said, sometimes you might be both of those people. Yes. You might be the person who opposes it. Absolutely. And then as the process forces you to reflect on it, Absolutely. you you may come around. Absolutely. And vice versa. Yes. You might be given pause on your own legislation. And Absolutely. Be, oh, well, I hadn't thought of that. Yep. So Absolutely. That that makes sense yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, well, okay, well now we're gonna transition to the uh, the uh, entertaining closeout questions. Uh, and these are uh, last time we talked about ranking of dessert topics. Uh, this time we have uh, a number of questions you can choose from. Uh-huh. And we'd like you to please pick at least two of the following. Uh-huh. Um, you can do an impression. They're not all scary. Okay. Uh, do an impression. Tell a joke. Uh, tell us about a strange thing you collect. Tell us about an oddball job you had. Tell us about one ludicrous thing you can't live without. Tell us about your weirdest family member. Or shower me with effusive praise. <laughs> You can right. pick at least two of these. You now, can pick as many I'm as you like. I'm definitely going to pick two, okay. and then I'm going to add a third. Oh, please. Uh, but uh, one ludicrous thing I can't live without is Facebook. Okay, interesting. It's the first thing I look at in the morning when I wake up, okay. and it's the absolute last thing I look at in the evening when I go to bed. And uh, it does a couple of things. It allows me to... Uh, be informed about what my Facebook friends, who are mostly Ward 4 residents, are up to, and okay. what's important to them and their lives and their and their work and you know policy priorities. But it also allows me to kind of check out for a little bit. So when I'm on Facebook scrolling through, you know, it allows me to check out of the. Although I'm entering into all of the day to day, but it just allows me to check out for a few minutes. So when I wake up in the morning, I pick up my phone, I look at Facebook, I look at it at least twice an hour Mm -hmm. throughout the day and Mm -hmm. then right before I go to bed. So I could not live without Facebook. I could live without Twitter. Okay. Yeah, definitely. But not without Facebook. And it's and it's the and it's the Facebook stuff, is any of it just totally indulgent, like dumb, like like cat videos or is it? I'll tell you I will only admit this to you, Josh. Okay. I do when I click on a video and it's like the dogs and the cats running around crazy or it's like some person, you know, uh, ice skating when they shouldn't be and they they fall in or some kid on a roller coaster and they're scared out of their mind. Those are the best. Okay. But I also watch, uh, you know, D.C. Council hearings on Facebook and uh, try to keep up with what's going on. Okay. So the, you're the, the person. <laughs> we were wondering who the one person watching council <laughs> hearings on Facebook was. But but definitely Facebook and, and all those funny videos. It, it 
you know, you have to indulge a little bit, right? Good. We wanted to, to make sure it wasn't bit. just all Ward Four. You know, keeping yeah. up with the Joneses. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a little bit of everything. Okay, so that's your you can't yep. live without. And then a strange thing that I collect. I personally don't think it's strange, but. I, uh, ever since I was a little boy, uh, I have been attracted to nutcrackers. Okay. You know, now, are we talking like the wood look like people nutcrackers? Yes, the wood look like people nutcrackers. So okay. my aunt uh, has been collecting them for 50 years. Okay. She has 300 of them. Okay. Uh, so whenever I'm out, I'm always looking for unique and ornate and new and cool nutcrackers. I mean, they come in, in all kinds of, uh, as all kinds of what, uh, people or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you can get a fisherman nutcracker, you can get uh, a teacher nutcracker, you can, all kinds. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite movies growing up was Home Alone. Okay. So I love the holiday season mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I think they're pretty cool. But some people think they're strange, but I think they're cool. What is the the uh, oddest or rarest or most expensive? Or give me give me a couple. The examples. Rat King. Oh, okay, yeah, from, from, from the ballet. From or, the ballet, yeah, the Rat King. It's the coolest one. Okay, and, and, and there's a nutcracker, a rat king, a rat king nutcracker. And, and do you because and do you attend the ballet? Because I'm saying every single year. So usually uh, I participate uh, as a walk-on guest in the Washington Ballet's version of the I was going to ask you about as that. The Warner as the ambassador. Okay. Uh, so it's always exciting because we're seeing worlds collide because we know about the tap dance background, yes. <laughs> the Nutcracker collection. Yeah. Okay. You know, that's I, pretty good. That makes total sense. Yes. Okay, and you said you were going to volunteer at third. I'm going to volunteer at third, and it's going to be uh, to shower you with effusive praise because I also couldn't live without the at, at Council of D.C. Twitter page. I have never seen a legislative body have such a cool and robust Twitter feed. I mean, you never know. The conversation is always interesting. It's always provocative. I never know what it's, what it's going to say. <laughs> Neither I, do I. I never know what silly picture I'm going to see of myself <laughs> on it, right? So uh, it's always very, very exciting, and we certainly appreciate the work that you do and keeping uh, uh, our followers engaged in what we're doing at the council in a fun way. So that that was my bonus. Much, much appreciated. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty cool. And it's all in the goal of keeping people interested in the council. Absolutely. Like I said, it's the spoonful of sugar. It's the spoonful of sugar. I mean, it's about the medicine. That's right. We just got to get it down. It's not just the sugar. That's right. That's right. So, because sometimes the medicine on its own, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, all righty. Well, unfortunately, we've gone right through the time. The half hour went quickly, but hopefully, we can bring you back sometime soon. I'll be back very soon. I look forward to it. All right. Appreciate it. Well, uh, thank you uh, again for joining us, Councilmember Todd. Thank you, listeners. Tune in again next time. We are at DC Radio at 96.3 on your HD4 dial or at dcradio.gov. I'm Josh Gibson. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. Take care. Goodbye. Goodbye.